Good morning to you online. If this is your first time here, thank you for coming out. And for you listening online, um, thank you for joining us, taking time out of your day. Happy Father's Day all. With uh, Rick Sentiment, I'd like to share some things about fathers this morning. You know you're a dad when you no longer find the time to sleep, relax, get bored, meet up with friends or acquaintances anymore because that is now a perceived luxury. You know you're a dad when the new social pressure is making sure your lawn is mowed. Can I get any amen to that? We were mowing Pastor Craig's lawn. Pastor Craig's lawn is extremely perfect. It's like something to be proud of, edge perfect. They have battles between the neighbors you see which grass is higher. You know you're a dad when seasons change simply by the action of turning that khaki zip-off pants into shorts, declaring it summer or zipping them back on to make them pants, declaring that summer is now over. You know you're a dad when you carry pictures where money used to be. You know you're a dad when your house is a frat house again. Nobody sleeps, everything is broken, and there's a lot of throw up everywhere. I love these two little uh, comments here. On my 6 a.m. walk, my daughter asked me where the moon goes each morning. I let her know it's in heaven visiting daddy's freedom. And last one, by the time a person realizes maybe their father was right, they usually have a child who thinks they're wrong. I'm enjoying that experience at the moment. I have three children, wonderful children, Elijah, Alicia, and Eliana, six, four, and two. And so life is never dull. And at the moment, Elijah is telling me when I'm wrong constantly. He's like, no, you're not right, Dad. I know because the TV told me. YouTube told me. So there's a little bit of a war already happening, which is great. But thank you again so much. Thank you, fathers, for being who you are. Fathers yet to be. This nation more than ever needs fathers. I'm thankful for this community, the good representation of fatherhood that I see in this house. Good spiritual strong fathers and for our generation we need to lean into the wisdom. Lean in. I just love Rick's heart. To me he's one of the many fathers in this house and so for me as a younger person, 35 coming alongside and journeying along, we are a multi-generational church, amen. It's not about one person but it's about all of us coming together collectively to see the kingdom go forth. Can I get an amen this morning? It's good to preach to people in person rather than over just a camera. I got kind of good. Um, so thank you again so much for being here. So today, in the heart of Father's heart, um, I was reflecting, we are celebrating and honoring fathers, but in this same moment, we are grieved. We are grieved in this moment of this cultural moment of division, of a pandemic, of so much in our society which is calling us to pull them side to side. And more than ever, we need fathers in this moment. I don't know about you, but a father to me was always someone that was just strong and a hope in the wind, in the storm. That somehow my father was always someone who was unswayed by the things surrounding. And so more than ever, we need a father's heart in this moment. And so my message today is the desire of a father. Because I want us to lean into what the desire of a father, our heavenly father's desire. No one here is a perfect father on this earth. 
We all fall short of that. But we know that we can lean into a perfect father. And so the condition that we find ourselves in this cultural moment is as old as time itself. And so would you with me, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Yet we're going back to the beginning. We love going back to Genesis in this church. We're going back to Genesis chapter 4. The words will be on the screen as well for you. And so there's this story that I want us to lean into to observe this cultural moment. Cain and Abel. This story that we know well from Bible stories of young. But would you, for me, lean into it like you never heard it before. And let Holy Spirit begin to speak something fresh and new through you. And so in verse 1 it says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of God. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit from the ground. Cain was a a farmer. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock the fat portions and the Lord and regard for Abel and his offering. But then Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Depression, anger began to consume Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will not be here. Sorry, if you do not do well, you will not be accepted. And if you do well, you will be. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood and from your hand. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that we get to gather in this space. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Already, Holy Spirit, you are at work in this place, and we thank you for that so much. Would you again open our hearts, our ears, our mind to what you have to say to us, King Jesus? Would you allow our hearts to be transformed? You are the only healer that can do the deep inner work, and so we lean in, we surrender ourselves to your words and to your message in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is one that really perplexed me this week. It really stirred something in me. A story that I knew so well, but this phrase that kept coming up, um, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? As we go through this story between Cain and Abel, we talk about how identical twins are so similar, but I believe that these two Boys, these two men were exactly the same. Same mother and father, no difference between them. No other genealogy, and they would have been exactly the same. Closer than kind of fraternal twins. Both had the opportunity to come before the father. Both had equal rights to come into the presence of God. There was no division. Though the interesting line at the beginning of this passage where it said that Eve cried out saying, thank you God for helping me have a son. There was this underlying thought about theologians 
that Cain was the one who was going to crush the serpent's head. Remember the promise in Genesis 3 where we came about that there was this uh, promise from God that you will have a son and you will crush, their son will crush the serpent's head. And so Eve thought Cain was this fulfillment, some theologians believe. So there's this perception already of an elevation. We already know that firstborns already got everything, you know. They got the majority of the stakehold, and then the, the second would have the less. But they were still both equal in rights to come to God. But isn't it so interesting that we see these two exactly the same boys, two same people coming to this presence, offering a gift, and their responses were completely different. I find it interesting that Cain's own work, and for you who know the story, we see the comparison of the two offerings. Cain, with his own work, with his own desires, from the ground, the sin, from the ground of sin, gave God an offering. And Abel gave an offering of sacrifice, which was grace. It was faith that Abel came able to give this amazing thing that he knew somehow in faith that a sacrifice was needed that was not of his own accord, that was not of his own blood, but something else needed to be in his place, another blood to be a worthy sacrifice. And we know this is the foreshadow of Jesus Christ. But isn't it interesting how we see the responses of the differences in that? Again, two people exactly the same, yet the heart was revealed in the worship. We can turn up on Sunday mornings, every single Sunday, with equal rights to another brother or sister, yet inside our heart is broken. Yet inside there is something broken within Cain's heart, that he had self-work, that he had pride in his life that came forth, so much so that it rooted in him to anger, which led to hate, which led to killing his own brother. Can you imagine that in that moment? That this pride inside of him drew him to that moment. Why should I care about my brother is his response to God. Again, we have this Genesis 3 moment where God is asking questions. Isn't it funny when God asks questions, he's not looking to know, he's looking for you to know. The grace of the Father who knew that blood was shed, the first blood was shed. And God didn't come rushing into that moment and destroyed Cain. He didn't do that. Isn't that interesting? Because as, as, a, as a father, seeing that happen, I don't think I could hold back. But the father comes and asks questions. What has happened? Trying to get beneath the surface of what has happened in Cain's own heart. And it was clear to see that this line, am I my brother's keeper? This dis regard. If we apply it to the cultural moment we are in right now, I believe that this is something that we see across America, across this world. Am I my brother's keeper? Do I even need to care about my brother? Do I even need to know about who he is or what he is doing? I'm about me. I'm about my work. The Cain spirit is very much alive and present in this moment. Because we're seeing all these types of divisions. My kingdom, my work, my freedom, God. It's my freedom. And yet God is wanting to eradicate this. There's this uh, National Geographic picture. I don't have it uh, on slide. But there is this photo of these two saber-toothed tigers locked in battle. One tooth has gone right through the other one. They are locked in it. And to quote this article, one had bitten deep into the leg bone of the other, a thrust that trapped 
both in common fate. The cause of death was the two cats as clear as the cause of the extinction of their species. When Christians fight each other, everybody loses. And Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5.15. If you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. This story is still alive. This story is still part of America and the division that we see that one brother, both equal. And isn't that funny? This story, they are so equal in everything, yet in the heart of humanity is this division that when one someone gets something better. Can you imagine? Because Cain was meant to be supposed savior, yet God rejected him, which drew something out in his heart. And so today, my message aim is simply this, uh, for us to have our own self-reflection of the Cain mentality that we can have in our own hearts in this moment. This moment that when we see our brother do better than us or where we feel like we've been rejected, our work, Cain's hard sweat and labor rejected by God. The pain that he would have felt and because of the pride inside of him of his own self-work, that we need to have an able mentality that says when we come with worship, it's not about me. It's not about my gift. It's not about my work, but it's about the blood of Jesus. It's about a sacrifice of another. It's about the grace of God in our hearts. And so I want to look at the Father's desire towards this mentality. So flip over with me to Leviticus. Yes, we're going Leviticus today as well. Leviticus 19. Leviticus is a book that is difficult to write, read at times, but it is a beautiful book that reminds us that we were far from God and all the rules and regulations, but also our Father that wanted to dwell with His people always. There is a heart of a God that wants to dwell with you always. And so 19 is about looking at the inward part. And I love this verse too I want to highlight. You shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. This is the preface to the verses we're about to read. He attaches his identity to these actions. We see God attach identity in Exodus 34 when he proclaims his name Yahweh. He leads the meaning of his name with mercy or compassion. Isn't that awesome that you serve a God who is compassionate? You could have been serving a God who is warlike, who wants you to serve him and him alone in a way which is destructive to you. But this narrative, this God is different from any other God in the entire world that says, I am compassionate to you. I am merciful to you. And so we need to take heed of these words that we're about to read because this is saying, you shall be holy. This is what it means for us to be holy. Holy meaning being set apart, unique. It's not just perfection, but it's set apart being unique. And so just with that in mind, we just want to look at verses 17 and 18 here. So this is God setting out a law. This is God setting out a new rhythm. This is the Father saying, this is what I want you to be. And this is what it means for you to be a holy, different, set-apart people. We're about to have a radical shift in mentality. So in verse 17, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason Frankly, 
with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. These words, we, we don't fully understand the weight and shift of what just happened in that moment when God declared a new promise. We don't get it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In a war-torn environment, tribal land where you beat your brother down to win another over. This world has benefited just from this phrase alone. And so funny that our culture thinks that we arrived at it because of our own intelligence. That we feel like so often that we've come to this enlightened phase that we have become the people that love. When God, from the very beginning, set this new revolution of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting, even in that passage, that you shall not hate your brother. I don't know your heart. I can see you being a person that loves, that serves, but yet I don't understand what is going on inside of your heart. So I think this is why it's so fundamentally powerful that God attaches his identity to this page. He says that I'm holy. This is what it means to be holy. You can have all your actions, but do not have hate in your hearts where no one can see it. It's more than just good works as a Christian. But God is saying, I want you to go deep into your heart. I want you to go deep down and look at your heart. For you to be holy is to not hate your brother but it's to reason with them, frankly, with your neighbor. I love that love is not just care that we wrap around our arms and love one another, but love is also correction. Love is also coming alongside your brother and saying, you are missing the mark. You are better than that. You are an image bearer of God. I think we forget that so often, that we are icons of God. You all are icons, and you carry the image of God. And in that, we should be calling each other higher. We should be calling and encouraging one another. Come on, your unique expression of God, you need to bring it out today. And so I love that God does that. Don't, and you can imagine as the people of the Israel were hearing this moment, they would have heard Cain and Abel's story echo through because they would have told these stories day and night to one another about Cain and Abel, about the brokenness of brotherhood. And when they heard these words, don't take hate into your heart, Cain and Abel. Reason with them. Cain never reasoned with his brother. He never gave the opportunity to value him, to say, you know what? I've got a grievance against you. Even though Cain was in the wrong, he still should have gone to his brother, should have gone to God and worked it out. We do ourselves a disservice when we don't do that. Don't take vengeance. Don't grudge against your own brother, but love them as yourself. And so we see these words, this one line, take hold in the whole Jewish tradition. Because how do we, what's the law summed up as? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That these two phrases summed up the whole Ten Commandments, that you could live by that. In fact, that's how the priests and and the law keepers would have these little boxes. They would have these things around their arms to remind themselves of this law. That's how important this phrase became 
So much so that Jesus began to echo those same words. And so I just want to land ourselves here today in this passage. Another well-known story found in Luke, the Good Samaritan. So would we read this together here? And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This lawmaker, this teacher, this keeper of the law was not asking just a simple question. This was a loaded question. Remember, the Pharisees, the lawmakers hated Jesus. And so they wanted to create any stumbling block for him. And so they were looking, what is this kingdom of yours, Jesus? What is this eternal life? What do I have to do? Kind of making fun of him in this. And I love how Jesus turns this. Because remember, he's a law person. He would have had things ripped up, sorry, wrapped around his hand and across his forehead. And he kind of turned the question back on the man. He said to him, well, it's written in the law. How do you read it? And so he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will have life. But to justify himself in this moment, because the law maker, the law priest had been done over by Jesus. And so he wanted to get him back. Okay, then, Jesus, what does it mean? To, uh, so he decided to justify himself and said, who is this neighbor? And I can imagine Jesus in this moment kind of smiling on his face. He had this moment to completely change this lawyer, this teacher's perception of what this all meant because he knew in his heart that Jesus for him was like well we can't love everyone Jesus this idea of your kingdom it can't mean what you really want it to mean so Jesus is about to completely revolutionize his mind right now and so he said to him this story that we know well Jesus replied a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho this is 17 mile journey this 3,000 foot decline. It was known as the blood way. You didn't travel by yourself. You made sure you paid way for people traveling down because there was all sorts of uh, vengeance, all sorts of corruption that happened down that way that you would be looted, that you would be beaten up. And so to hear this story as a listener, to hear someone traveling by themselves, you're already saying, well, they're a moron traveling down the road by themselves. And so they've already hearing that in their words. And he fell to robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. They would have said, well, yeah, that is what happens on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. You can't travel by yourself. And so they departed him, leaving him half dead. Now chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. We know that when the priests would come, that they had this law that said, if you touch someone that's dead, you are unclean. And so he was that beaten up that he didn't know if he was alive or dead. Can you imagine that? That you were beaten to such a point that there was touch and go. And if he touched him, he might have his cleanliness ruined. And so he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite Someone who wasn't a priest, but it was part of Levitical culture. These people were set apart for God. When he came to that place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan that we know that Jews hated, 
the separation of war between them throughout, that when Assyria took over the northern kingdom and removed them, that when they came back to the land of Israel, they married with the Canaanites and other gods, and they became watered-down Jewish people. And so Jewish people called them dogs. In fact, in the previous chapter, Jesus went to Samaria, went to the town, and they rejected Jesus. And his disciples decided to call down fire on Samaria. See how that loving action of a Christian comes in? That they said, Jesus, should we call down fire on this town and blow it up? One, that's really cool faith. I mean, I don't have that kind of faith that goes through town and says, you know what? Washington, they've not responded to Jesus. Can we blow it up? I mean, how mismanaged is that reaction from the love of Jesus? But this is the same. But Jesus said to them, no, don't do that. You know, thank you, Jesus, for not having that theology in place. Otherwise, we'd have a different type of Christianity right now. People trying to blow up towns by the word of Jesus. But instead... Jesus makes the Samaritan a hero in the story. Bearing in mind, we've just come a town of destruction, and Jesus is now about to make this Samaritan a hero. So not only do the disciples consider Samaritans less than, they've just experienced the rejection of Samaritans to Jesus' word, and now Jesus is elevating them to the hero of the story. This is love. So, but a Samaritan who journeyed came to him. So he was, and when he saw him, the man who was beaten had compassion. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. This man had the capacity of healing with him. And when he set him on his own animal, remember, he's going to be walking 17 miles back, putting him on his animal. So he sacrificed his position for the other man, putting him on the animal. And the next day he took him... uh, to a place to the innkeeper and gave two denarii, which this coverage would have covered for about 24 days of, of looking after him. And I love this about this guy. He take, said, take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This guy has enough character that this innkeeper knows him and knows that he's faithful to his word. Because back then, if you didn't have money, no one's going to be paying you PayPal, Vimno, or any other kind of pay service to you. It was your word that was faithful. And so this man, this Samaritan, was a good character. Already the Jewish leaders are like getting mad right now. Not only is he the hero of the story, but they're elevating his character. And so, um, so he will repay you. And which of these, Jesus asked the condemning question, which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the lawmaker. And you can imagine just in the shameful voice as he kind of wanted to just kind of murmur out, you know, the the one who showed mercy. You know, you could imagine it wasn't like declared the one that showed mercy. It was the one, you know, that, that guy. I don't even want to name him because he makes me so mad. And Jesus said to him, you go do likewise. Isn't it interesting as we, and as I contemplated this text this week, a story that I've heard over and over again. It was interesting that the priest, the wise one, didn't have the wisdom to heal. It wasn't the Levite who should have had the understanding of loving another that served him, but it was someone that was less than that served and loved. Think about it for my own life. 
But the law, in fact, tied up them to love another well. Isn't that interesting? That the law, that the things that they abided by tied them up that they could not fulfill the overall arching golden rule of the kingdom of God. For me in my life as I was reflecting upon this, so often as a Christian we relay ourselves to the Samaritan, let's be honest. We're like, yeah, I'm a good person. I try and do good things for people. Jesus, I get it. That's the person I'm going to live for and be for. But what if we took an honest look and looked at some of the Cain attributes that we have in our lives? Would we not find ourselves close to the priest? Someone that when we saw someone in need, we actually more often than not look the other way. We don't want to get involved. We don't want to stand with that. We would rather just stay in our own kingdom. And if I'm honest, so often I let that get by. My own pride, my own character, my own. I feel it in my heart, you know, and I'm just being honest. There's so many times that I want to pray for someone and I don't because of fear of what it looks like. So often, I don't want to stand with that person because of what it would associate me with, if I'm honest. All of us, we can be honest in that moment. We actually are more the priest than we are the Samaritan. I think it's a really important time for us to even look at our hearts to see where we sit in all of this. In this pandemic moment, it has given us an amazing opportunity to look beneath the surface, to say, God, am I where I should be today? We see our country stealing or toilet roll shortages in the beginning. Do you remember those days? They seem so far away now. <laughs> you couldn't get hold of cleaner, people stockpiling and all sorts of things. The cane heart. Get what I need, what I want, God. Let me take it from another. We see the division in this cultural moment of equality. And it grieves me to see the anger that Christians have against one another, even with this simple phrase of silence is violence. Now, I don't know where you stand on that. To me, silence is violence. For me to not take a stand. And I'm not saying that you have to go post on your social media. I'm not saying that you have to suddenly take a political stance on things. But I'm saying with your actions, how are you standing today? How are you standing with the black community? Now I get it. All lives do matter. Let's make this clear. We know all lives matter. But at the moment, black lives need to matter. And I'll tell you why. Because abortion, right? We believe pro-life. We believe. Why can't we talk about that more? I believe if we start to get this right, that we can start to apply it to the other areas that need life. And so can we serve this area well? Can we not be the priest that decides to walk by? We know the law. We know all the things that we should be doing. But so often we tie ourselves up and we justify ourselves. And we pull ourselves away from the ones that are most needing help in this moment. It was an amazing celebration yesterday, can I tell you, church? 
Saturday, multiple churches gathering in town, glorifying God in that space. The presence of God was so thick. As we were worshiping outside, unity of churches alone excites me, right? You guys have hundreds of churches in this area, yet you are heading in the same direction as the UK because we are fundamentally missing this truth of loving another neighbor. We do all the right things. We know all the right laws, but our hearts are distant from God. And God is almost highlighting this moment of how much dislove that we have, even if that's a word, in this moment. I love this phrase from Earl Johnson who says, when you wash somebody's feet, you find out why they walk the way they do. I'll say that again. When you wash somebody else's feet, you find out why they walk the way they do. This is a simple message today, but one that is so profound and as old as time. Will we be Cain and rely on our self-work? Or will we lean into the grace, the sacrifice of Jesus? Will we hold that as worship, not how good I did this week that I get to come and glorify God, but the grace that abounds. Will I remind myself daily of the grace that was shown to me so that I can love another well? This is what I believe fundamentally God wants to do. So I want to invite the worship team up, but I have just a quick video. I just want to set some ministry time too. So guys, if you can show the video and worship team, if you guys can come up.
see my enemy, I see my brother. In this moment, the desire of a father is unity. The desire of the father is compassion for one another. And this verse, Romans 12, 9, 10 says, let love be genuine. Can you cultivate genuine love? Can you say that you have genuine love for those who are different from you, who believe different things to you? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. In a moment, we're going to sing a song to close us out, God of Justice. This is an action-orientated song. And so for me and for you, as we sing this song together, would you let these words go deep into your heart and almost a prophetic declaration over your heart because I need to be sent out. I need to declare again that we need to be in the world. Our fifth value as the church is an outward focused, to be outward focused. And that's a new value for us because if we're honest, we've been very inward. We're a great family church. If you want to come in and be loved and found a place of belonging to be loved, this is the place for you. But we need to change that love that has so been wonderfully cultivated in this space, and we need to send it out of these four walls. It was great to see so many of you there at the march, at the rally yesterday, but we need to do better. We need to be more present in Washington, in Claysville, Burgettstown, in the surrounding areas. We are on a mission. We gather here to encourage so that we can scatter out and be the kingdom of God, that we got to be the church over these 12 weeks before, that you got to understand, but don't go back to normality of this is where you get fed and you turn up to be a Christian only on Sunday. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to God. Be who you are called to be. And that is someone who is in the world, not of it. To be salt and light. To be someone that truly loves their neighbor. And I'm speaking this word over myself. I am as much a problem in God's plan. I'm a priest. I don't live up to where I want to be. But I want with you to journey together to be a better expression. To be someone that is in the community, loving the broken hearted. And so, Father, would you just stand with me as we sing this song? Father, I pray this word would go deep into our hearts. Lord, it's a tough word to hear, but Lord, it is the desire for the Father's heart to be expressed in and through this land. So, God, we just come and we confess these words, God of justice. Lord, what you came to be, justice on this earth. And justice does not look like punishment in the sense that we think it. It's coming to bring justice to the poor, that they are elevated to who they are called to be, that your justice is kind and merciful, that it does correct. It does bring about the truth that is needed, but it empowers so much more. It brings life where there was brokenness. It turns ashes to joy. 
morning to joy. So, Lord God, we just say, come do it again. Even as we sing these words, not just words on a screen this morning, but words that will stir in our hearts to do and take action. Holy Spirit, would you do something in this moment as we sing this song like never before? Would you transform us like never before? In Jesus' name.